This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. He kōna e purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Nā mihi nui and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ with me, Alison Balance. The 2018 Prime Minister's Science Prize worth half a million dollars has gone to a team at ESR, the Institute of Environmental Science and Research, for a crime-busting software package called StarMix. I'm off to ESR in Auckland to find out more. So my name is Joe Bright and I'm a forensic scientist working within the StarMix team. And this is your team and it's a team full of people sitting at computers. This is my team and yes, we, we sit at computers all day. Hi everybody. Hi. Well there's quite a few of you. How many are working on the team? Uh, the wider team, there are 16 of us. And so everybody in this room works on developing the software? There's a variety of of roles, so we obviously develop the software, but we also support the use of the software, and we train users to be able to use the software. Now, in a nutshell, what does this software do? The software is used to interpret forensic DNA profiles. It's used to solve crime, basically. Now, can we just sort of step sideways and perhaps go and have a look at the lab where some of the forensic stuff that people who watch TV crime shows might think it all happens and then work our way back to what you actually do? Let's do that. So I can take you into the laboratory and show you what happens when we receive an exhibit. And before we do that, we're going to have to ask that you provide a DNA sample. Stand by, listeners. My DNA sample is a simple cheek swab. It'll be used to check against any potential contamination in the lab. You are welcome. Right, so we head to the lab. So this is one of our research laboratories. Uh, and because it's a working laboratory, we're going to have to follow the same rules as we would in a caseworking laboratory. So we will have to get gowned up, which includes gloves and a hairnet, just to avoid any uh, DNA Uh, We want to minimise the potential for contamination as much as possible. So gown, hairnet, safety glasses and gloves to cover me and my sound kit. Right, fully gowned up, lead the way. Ming is one of our senior scientists who uh, more recently has spent some time in the laboratories. So over the years, I imagine, our ability to find DNA has improved so that we can get it from smaller and smaller samples. So that's correct. So the equipment we use and the chemistry that we use has become more and more sensitive over the last 20 years, which means that we can get DNA profiles from more and more minute amounts of DNA, uh, which means that we have to be a lot more careful now with respect to contamination, but it also has had a flow-on effect to how we interpret those DNA profiles. So back in the old days, when, as you say, we used to get DNA profiles from large samples, so traditionally blood and semen, they would be very easy profiles to interpret. 
Uh, typically, they would be only from one or two individuals. Uh, if it was a sexual assault, for example, you, you might see DNA from two, two individuals, uh, the victim and the offender. Uh, but moving towards these trace amounts of DNA, you can see uh, profiles that have uh, contributors from, from anything from one to four or five people. So these DNA profiles, these mixed DNA profiles, are more and more complex. And that's what StarMix has been designed for, to help us interpret those more complex DNA profiles. So Ming, what generally happens in a lab like this? So everything is set up, the labs are cleaned and sterile and decontaminated before you start the work. And um, for example, if we're going to prepare an exhibit, um, you would have the exhibit item displayed onto the bench and also some nylon swabs that we use to collect the biological sample or the stains from and then from there we would actually remove the swab heads and collect them into microcentrifuge tubes for then to proceed with the relevant extraction and or other um, laboratory processes. The process really starts out at the crime scene uh, and depending on what type of case it is the exhibits that they're looking at could be very large so it could be a bed sheet or a carpet, for example, in someone's house. And we are, obviously we can't handle those large exhibits within the laboratory. So what is mostly submitted to a forensic laboratory is either a, a very small sample from those exhibits, so they might cut out, for example, a, a small amount of a sheet, or uh, more often they will swab the exhibit. So um, these uh, nylon swabs, they wet them, and then basically they just run them over the biological material that they're interested in. That basically just grabs any DNA that's there? Yes, that's correct. So once you've processed it all, it's been through the centrifuge, uh, what happens to it then? It goes through a series of chemical reactions and processes. We typically use a commercially available um, DNA extraction kit, so this allows us to collect and extract the DNA samples basically according to a qualified standard. So this is very important for our quality and also for repeatability of the process. So it's all very standardized. Once we actually collect the DNA sample, then we proceed to the second phase, which is firstly to quantify the amount of DNA present in the sample. And that then allows us to proceed and actually analyse the DNA sample. So that goes through a separate chemical reaction called a polymerase chain reaction. So this is again a chemical process which amplifies the DNA present in the sample and then also in addition to that the amplification targets specific areas of the DNA which are used for DNA profiling. Most laboratories around the world uh, interrogate the same parts of the DNA. So we call these uh, loci, it just means that a, a site on the DNA, and the PCR, this amplification process, targets those DNA sites. These are known to vary between individuals, so they're very important to help our ultimate goal, which is to answer the question, whose DNA is it? And these parts of the DNA are called short tandem repeats. And that's where the STR bit comes into the Starbucks name. 
So we better spell that out for people, actually. So it's capital S, capital T, capital R, and then mix. That's right. It probably should be STR mix, but star mix just sounds so much better. <laughs> of course, you're obviously not trying to do a complete genome sequence of, of a person. So as you're saying, you're just trying to find something that will identify one individual from another individual. That's right. So most of the DNA between individuals is identical. So we're not interested uh, in identical DNA. We're interested in the bits that differ between individuals. And these short tandem repeats, uh, they are exactly what it, it sounds like. They are short sequence of DNA that are repeated tandemly. So if you can think of a carriage on a train, uh, and then what we're trying to do is count how many carriages there are on that train. And that tells us what the allele is for that particular locus within that particular person. So obviously if you've only got a profile from one person, then that's pretty simple. Where the challenge comes for you is we've got profiles from multiple people. So which bit comes from which person and how do you connect them up? Is that the challenge you face? That is the challenge, yeah. So there's a little bit more information that we can get from a DNA profile. So the very last step from within the laboratory is to run that amplified DNA through a very thin column called a capillary. And the, the longer pieces of DNA take longer to get through that capillary. So when they pop out the end of the capillary, we measure how much DNA there is and also the length. And when we have mixtures, it's typically in different proportions. So, for example, you might have more DNA in the sample than I do. So the amount of DNA corresponding to you would be higher than that from me. So we use those differences to be able to tease apart the different DNA profiles from the different contributors. Are you then getting the data that's been generated through this process? Is that a string of numbers that you inherit? That's right. The DNA profile just basically turns into a string of numbers. We can actually look at it uh, as a a picture. It's called an electropherogram, which is a series of of colourful peaks uh, on a plot, basically. So there are two dimensions. One is height, which is the amount of DNA, and one is length, which is the length of the DNA. Yeah, one of the first things you have to determine is the number of contributors, which is very easy if it's single source. It can get a little bit more complicated when there are multiple individuals. You've got all this, these numbers. You've got something that you use to look at graphically. And how do you make the software do the deciding and the decision-making for you? So the software is a, a, a combination of some standard statistical models and some complex biological models. And that's where the innovation came in from from ESR. So we developed some uh, biological models which uh, we used to mimic the process of the the PCR. So we were studying how PCR worked and we looked at how profiles were formed and then we modelled that behaviour within the software. So we're using a a statistical method called Monte Carlo Markov Chain or Markov Chain Monte Carlo and what that's doing is Uh, working out all the possible genotype combinations that could explain that profile that we see from the crime sample. And then it's just trialling each of those millions of possible genotype combinations, and then at the end it will return the more likely ones, and it will weight those according to how, how likely they are. Okay, out of the lab, safety clothes off, and back to the office where Joe shows me something on a computer screen. This is not StarMix, but this is where we take the capillary electrophoresis data, so that's the instrument data, and we look at what the DNA profile is. So just describe to me what we're looking at. Okay, so we have two different colours here, and we have a blue channel and a green channel. 
Uh, DNA profiles, we, we normally look at four or five different channels of information. Each set of these is a locus. So here's our first locus, it's called D3, which means it's from the third chromosome. Um, it's what we call autosomal DNA, so it's not related to a sex uh, chromosome. And we can see that there are three peaks here. Uh, this one is a 15, so that would have been 15 of those short tandem repeats. This one's a 16, and this one's a 17. And so just looking at that locus, I can see that the 17 peak is a whole lot bigger than the 16, and the 15 is also very small. Uh, and I can tell that because of the differences in peak heights, there's probably two different uh, contributors to this DNA profile. And it might be that um, the individual that has contributed the majority of the DNA is that 17 allele, and the individual who has contributed the 16 is what we call a minor contributor, so less DNA, basically. And that's one locus, and we do this across 24 loci. So there's a lot of information within a DNA profile that we have to look at. Uh, before the use of StarMix, we used to do this manually, and we would attempt to assign the individual profiles from the different contributors by hand. Uh, basically, we would have a calculator and a pen, and we would work out the possible genotype combinations. Uh, and it was quite time-consuming, and we were really limited to the complexities of the profile. So if there were more than three contributors that would be too complex. We just wouldn't even uh, attempt to interpret the profile. Whereas now, how many can you deal with? Up to five different contributors. We really have made a lot of advances with the amount of DNA that we can use from a crime sample, or from a crime scene even. Can you take that genetic information and match it back to DNA databases? That's one application of it. So there are really two outputs of, of StarMix. So the first would be if you had a person of interest... Uh, say they were a suspect at a crime, you can calculate a match statistic, so what is the strength of that evidence for them being a contributor, or you can just outright exclude them. The other application is if you didn't have a suspect, uh, you could search it then against a database. So it provides intelligence for the police for, for their crime solving. Just wander back over to my desk, and then I can show you actually the StarMix software. This is version 2.6. We started with version 2.0. Every year we try to release a new version with um, improved functionality or improvements in the user interface or in, with the speed. Uh, and it's a very simple user interface. Uh, there are six possible applications within the software. By far, the one that we would use the most is called interpretation. Select interpret and then it will open up one of three screens where I have to enter some information. So obviously the first would be a unique identifier for either the case or the sample, uh, and it's just uh, in this case I'll, I'll just do a known uh, two-person mixture that we use as a test case. Uh, and the next step is to actually tell the software what chemistry you are using. So many of the laboratories around the world are using the same loci, but there are different commercial manufacturers creating these chemistries, these kits that amplify those loci. So I've just added in our, our DNA profile of interest, so that is really just a list of the alleles and the heights of those peaks. And uh, how I'm going to set up this interpretation is I'm going to say I have a suspect and I want to calculate a match statistic, it's called a likelihood ratio, and I want to determine uh, the strength of any match. 
then I need to use some frequencies for those alleles. So how often do we see those alleles in the population? And that will tell us how common or how rare that DNA profile is in the population. And we've got DNA frequencies for, for many different populations. I'm just going to use a Caucasian data set, and then I can just hit uh, start, and it will start to do all the possible genotype combinations. Do different countries need different data sets? Yes, so different countries um, use different data sets, and within countries, particularly the US, they use different data sets again. So, for example, uh, in the south of the country, um, they will typically use a Hispanic database because of the population of Hispanics. Uh, but up north, say Michigan, they might use a, a Native American for example, and it really does depend on the cases that they're looking at. So what's happening right now, this is, this is that um, Monte Carlo Markov chain process that I was talking about, and it has worked out all the possible genotype combinations that could explain that profile. Uh, the more complex the profile, the more there are, and the more there are, the longer it takes to run. But in terms of how long it takes to run, are we talking hours, days? We're talking minutes. The, the great thing about StarMix is it meant that now our scientists can do other things. So now they're doing uh, harder things, looking at other uh, exhibits uh, and not spending their time working out all of these calculations. When this is taken into different jurisdictions, I'm thinking, for instance, going to the United States, for instance, uh, is, does this get used in court? And does, is there a process where people have to satisfy themselves that the results from this are admissible in court? Yes, so this is a big thing, uh, particularly in the US, as, as you say, they have a set of standards to be able to introduce new scientific evidence within the court. Uh, and it depends on the state. So they, they have what they call FRI states, which is based on the, a fry, set of FRI standards. And they also have uh, Dalbur states. And that's a slightly different set of standards, but they, they have a, the same theme. So is it uh, generally accepted, for example, in the, in the relevant scientific community? Uh, and what helps with that general acceptance uh, is us... Uh, publishing, so we, we have published all of the algorithms that sit behind StarMix, uh, and also uh, as more and more labs adopt StarMix, that is also obviously helping with that general acceptance. So StarMix has uh, finished running now. Uh, we can see that that two-person mixture took a minute and a half, uh, and this is the report that you would print off and that you would add to your case file. So this becomes a document uh, that uh, could be offered in disclosure for the defence or the prosecution uh, and is what the scientists would take to court to report that, that statistic, that likelihood ratio. So if you just have a look at some of this information, uh, we start just with a, a summary of the information from those two contributors and I can see looking at what we call the mixture proportions that uh, it was approximately 80% major contributor and then 20% from the minor. We also have um, some diagnostics. So One of the things about StarMix is we want it to be really transparent because these are forensic biologists representing this evidence in court. We need them to be able to understand how the software works and also to be able to demonstrate that the uh, interpretation has progressed as expected. And then we have the likelihood ratio. So this is where you would go um, quite quite early on when you're looking at your output. Uh, and this is a smorgasbord, if you like, of likelihood ratios. So when we are forming a likelihood ratio, we have two propositions. 
and they typically align with the prosecutor in the defence case. So the prosecutor or the prosecution proposition would be that the DNA in this profile has originated from that suspect. And of course a a good defence proposition would be no, the DNA has originated from someone else in the population. And the likelihood ratio is just a ratio of those two probabilities. There's a thing in there that's going unrelated sibling parent child, so you kind of eliminate... Yeah, we can calculate uh, likelihood ratios given different propositions. So if the defence was, uh, well, it wasn't my client, but it was his brother, then we automatically calculate that statistic. So you can just be more helpful to the court. And because we are analysing up to 24 loci, these numbers can get pretty big. So here we go, the likelihood ratio considering an unrelated individual uh, as our alternate proposition is 4 times 10 to the 22. So that's 4 with 22 zeros after it. <laughs> <laughs> 22 zeros is a lot. That, so, yeah, it's a, it's a big number. Uh, and, and when we report this in court, we would traditionally follow it up with what we call a verbal scale. Uh, so any likelihood ratio greater than a million, we would say that provides extremely strong support for this particular person being a contributor. So you've said it's quite widespread in use overseas. Whereabouts does it get used? Uh, So currently there are over 40 laboratories in the US that are using Starmix. So that includes federal laboratories like uh, FBI and uh, ATF. Uh, The US Army are using Starmix. And then there's also state and county and city laboratories. I think there are three laboratories in Canada that are are using it. A number of laboratories in the UK uh, and then some in Europe, uh, including uh, Ireland uh, and the Swiss laboratory. Uh, And then uh, more recently, uh, Hong Kong, some laboratories in China are currently validating. Any idea of how many cases have been done using your software now? We're unable to, to, to collect that sort of information. Uh, but a recent poll that we took last year, stomach's been used in over 100,000 cases. And it's obviously the standard thing here in New Zealand? Yes, yeah, so it's the Australasian standard now. So all eight state and territory laboratories in Australia and New Zealand are using stomachs. So what kind of feedback are you getting from overseas labs? So getting some amazingly positive feedback. So laboratories now can interpret more profiles than they've ever been able to before. Uh, They're coming to us uh, and they're saying that it's really helping them with their current casework, but labs are also looking backwards, looking at historical casework. Also things that were in the past too complicated. That's right, yeah. So we we used to waste a whole lot of information, a whole lot of DNA profiles. We could just not interpret. So so a case might not have been able to to progress. Uh, And with Starmix, we can now interpret those profiles. So there's a lot of value added through this one software. It's really amazing. Thanks, Joe. That was ESR scientist Joanne Bright, team leader of the Starmix team, which has won the 2018 Prime Minister's Science Prize. And we also heard from team member Meng Han Lin. And the Starmix team will be using their half a million dollars prize money to further develop the crime-busting software package. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ first aired on the 14th of March 2019. You can find this story again, as well as stories on other winners in the 2018 Prime Minister's Science Prizes, at our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. We are also a podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Radio Public. 
The Kākāpō Files podcast continues to keep up with all the breaking Kākāpō news. Find that online at rnz.co.nz slash kākāpō and in all the usual podcast places. RNZ's chemistry podcast, Elemental, celebrating 150 years of the periodic table of elements, is up to arsenic and astatine. You can subscribe to Elemental as a podcast and find it at rnz.co.nz slash chemistry. I'm posting all of these on the Our Changing World webpage as well, by the way. Check out the podcast page at rnz.co.nz for other new podcasts. There's a new series of Bang about sex and sexuality, as well as the worst sitcom ever made, which is a look at failure. Stay in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Bye for now. Matewa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.